man, what a great day to be an Eagle. Mercy. Well, Eagle Nation, we have a special episode for you leading into a huge Sunbelt East matchup this weekend as Georgia Southern heads up to Harrisonburg, Virginia to take on the undefeated JMU Dukes. So for this special episode, we're going to have two members and representatives from the JMU Sound Off podcast, the fan podcast of uh, the James Madison Dukes. Um, We'll also have one half of the Frary and Smith podcast, uh, which is a um, a newer podcast uh, covering all things Sunbelt Conference football, um, hosted by Noah Frary from the ACC Network, along with Caden Smith, uh, who is a former player at App State. Um, and uh, yeah, so Noah will join us here a little bit later to talk all things Sunbelt Conference, um, how things are stacking up, what are the surprises there. But first, we're going to kick things off with uh, uh, two of the, the four co-hosts of the JMU Sound Off uh, fan podcast. So we'll get going with that. Uh, it's just going to be me, Ryan Solo, for this special um, episode through these interviews. Um, Cody, unfortunately, wasn't able to join me for them. But we do want to give a special shout out to our sponsor for this and every episode um, of season six of Gata Talk, and that is Can Cut Tools. So definitely go check them out. It's a Georgia Southern alumni owned business, premium drill bits and cutting tools. Go give them a look uh, if you are in that line of work or know someone who is. It is uh, Can Cut, that's K N K U T dot com cancut.com so let's get right into it with uh, michael evangelista and taylor atkins from the jmu sound off podcast okay eagle nation uh joining me now is half of the jmu sound off podcast uh right with four uh co-hosts but uh taylor atkins and michael evangelista um giving us the kind of behind enemy lines uh perspective of um, how JMU is feeling, um, how the fan base is feeling going into this huge matchup this Saturday against Georgia Southern. So, guys, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Matt. Absolutely. Happy to be on. So, um, first, tell me a little bit about this podcast. You know, I know obviously you guys are um, new to the Sun Belt, right? Second year. Um, but how long have you been doing this thing with JMU Sun Off? I'll kick it off. Um, this is officially year two. So, okay. Um, a couple of other folks on John McNamara, Steve Brown, um, last year, kind of on a whim, uh, decided like, let's start doing more of these. I, I forgot what it's called. Twitter spaces, like after the game, because we'd all get on our phones and have all these text threads, all these chat windows, right. And, and, and catching up on the game. And we're like, why don't we get the voice of Jamie fans, right? The voice of the program, voice of the diehards, like the Taylors and the Michaels, right? Um, and get them in one place. So we started with Twitter spaces, which was pretty cool. It was kind of like a, 
dial in, ask a question. Sometimes you get some pretty interesting fans and feedback. And then we decided let's come together. Let's make it more of a podcast like setting. Got some best practices, some from, from our, some of our friends from all across the country, um, even some of our friends from the FCS days, but um, wanted to really finalize it. But honestly, like we wanted people to hear more about Jamie. We hear about sort of the outcomes from the FBS, uh, the FCS championship runs, the FC- FBS transition, but no one knew the stories behind it. So we'd love to like get players involved. If you listen to our last podcast, we had some faculty members involved in terms of like the fundraising space, um, et cetera, and just really bring some of those stories to light so people know the hard work and the p- people behind the scenes. Yeah. Um, Taylor, not sure. Do, do you want to add anything else to that? Hopefully I covered it pretty, pretty much. What- no, you, you nailed a lot of it. And um, the big thing, John McNamara, who couldn't join us tonight, um, he's a national correspondent for Red Cross. It has a lot of media oh, training nice. there. Yeah. Um, he is also uh, involved in some local sports talk uh, radio in Richmond and does some high school games. So he has a lot of media background. Um, and that's really what he brings to the table, kind of keeping us all together. Uh, Steve Brown, who couldn't also join us tonight, um, he's been an integral part of really JMU's, a lot of JMU's fundraising strategies from the external side. Uh, he's part of a group that helps start what is known as the Alpha Dogs, which is the restricted kind of fundraising group for football. Um, he's also a board member for uh, JMU's first NIL uh, collective, uh, the Mount Pelier Collective. And um, he's just been a super fan for as, as long as I've known him. Alumni so my, from like the 80s, I think, right? Correct. Yeah. Yes, because he met his wife at the uh, 1983 JMU, or sorry, his first date with his wife was the 83 JMU UVA game the year after cool. we beat UVA. Um, cool. And uh, in my background, I spent about 12 years in college athletics. I spent six at JMU, uh, six at UTSA when they started their football program, um, have since transitioned out of college athletics. I was on the fundraising side. And so the four of us kind of my uh, experience with the athletic department, Steve, uh, John, and then what Michael brings is the largest social media following of the three of us, as well as this recruiting background. I mean, everyone yeah. follows Michael for recruiting stats, player personnel. Um, so the four of us bring f- four very different perspectives. Um, and this year, after having success with the Twitter space, we decided to um, put something together a little more formal and official. And so far, we're two months in and been having a lot of fun. Gotcha. So this is the first full year of the podcast then, right? Or exactly. Yeah. Okay. I think we yeah. played around last year. You'll probably see some like recorded audios from the the Twitter spaces and everything, but this is like the first full production um, yeah. of the sound off. And it's a great production. Like I have to say, I mean, like I'm, I'm sure you guys are, are probably familiar with some of the other podcasts, like in the league. I think we have a really strong representation of like fan podcasts across, across the Sun Belt. You know, the Louisiana guys with the Rage and Review do a great job. We've been on there before. We've been on the Black and Gold podcast and app. They do a great job. I know Marshall, you know, newer member yeah. as well. They, they have one, uh, Southern Miss. Um, so yeah, just great company. You know, you're joining. Well, one thing, one thing I wanted to clip from our show yesterday, we had Danny on the voice of yeah. the, the Eagles. And um, he really talked about how he's like, you know, I'm biased, but the Sun Belt might be the best conference in college football and not in terms of competition, like Sun Belt versus the SEC though we, we would win out, but in terms of like what a college football conference should be from a geographic yeah. standpoint, yeah. like-minded schools and then the fan base. And to your yeah. point, yeah. 
Um, one of the most, one of the favorite things about us joining the Sun Belt and really jumping up to FBS, we would always joke that the other fan bases that we'd play in FCS, if it wasn't North Dakota State or one of those big oh, yeah. schools, you know, it wasn't a lot of fun uh, going to another stadium and smack talking the other team, and then they look at you and go whatever it's FCS really football we, yeah. right yeah and so it's a no, lot I, of fun to- <laughs> <laughs> we, we played western carolina for for many yeah. years you know in the citadel and i mean Furman had you know they're a small school but they have a, a decent fan base but wofford and yeah it was basically us and app and the socon were the odd men out because you know we were public schools and we were surrounded by a bunch of small private liberal art universities <laughs> you know so yeah so we love it yeah, yeah, I was gonna awesome. say Taylor was probably just like ready to go and say it's good to play programs with fan bases that care. Yeah, and especially like Amen. you know, you know, I, I remember right, like Georgia Southern, the SoCon, like yeah. back then they called CA like the C- SEC of FCS football, but that's that's after that's before like ODU and everyone else just jumped ship, right? And right. like even from the basketball perspective, so we were definitely the Goliath or the big fish in a very very small pond at that point. Yeah, for sure. Um, well, yeah, so let's get into it. I guess we can start with just how you guys are feeling. Obviously, huge matchup, right? A little bit of deja vu um, coming into this game undefeated, um, but now hosting us up there in Virginia. Um, so what is, obviously, you can't speak for the entire fan base, but, uh, you know, you you talk to a lot of them and you can probably speak for your colleagues on the podcast of just kind of what what is the pulse of the JMU fan base entering this game? Like what's kind of top of mind heading into this Saturday? We'll kick things off, too. I'm, I'm happy to jump yeah. in. Well, I would say, you know, if I'm being honest, there there's a sense of anxiousness, nervousness, and I don't think that has anything to do with us doubting what our team can do, but there, you know, you got PTSD from last year. I mean, we're in the same position. I I think it was actually really funny. I can't remember what national um, Twitter account tweeted out something like JMU's five and oh, and our head coach (laughs) quote tweeted it and said, yeah, let's hope we don't do the same thing we did last year to go six and oh. And so I, you know, it's something even that was on his mind, but if I'm, and I'm not saying this just because I'm on the Georgia Southern podcast. Right. I think the two best teams in the Sun Belt are going to square off on Saturday. Yeah. And um, when I look at the statistics and, you know, there's a lot of things that you guys do really well, your passing game, um, where I have concerns in our secondary. Now, yeah. we've addressed in our podcast that I think some of the secondary concerns are a little overblown because of how aggressive we are on the rush in the pass rush defense. Yeah. But um but I, I, I just think it's the, it's, it's the two best teams, and um, it's not a lack of confidence in JMU, but it's just you're going up against head-to-head against a team that I think is, is just as good as us. Yeah. And to add to that, too, so uh, I didn't realize this until recently, but I, be- I believe Taylor was also in Statesboro last year. Oh, yeah. We made the, yeah, we made the trip down to the game. Oh, wait, were you not there, Taylor? Uh, no. Not. Okay. So I was there by myself. Well, I was there yeah. with some friends, but I made the trip. Um, which is also kudos to the Sun Belt, right? Seven hour drive, like yes. fairly peaceful. But I was there. Um, I was in I was in the tailgating lots. Um, great atmosphere. It was I was cool. gonna say overall good experience, other than the result. Yeah, I mean there was there was a there was a large construction site there at the time. Okay. Um where That's, I think yeah. the yeah. indoor the facility was gonna go up. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it was it was a great day. Um Villa, Georgia. But uh yeah, I, re- I remember very well. There was the it was right after the block punt in the end zone. 
yep. and you guys scored and and suddenly the stadium woke up and there was momentum and Van Trees started getting comfortable and receivers started catching balls and running routes. And uh, I think that's when momentum started going on your side and started yeah. going downhill. Um, Cause I really thought like it was 17, zero or 21, zero at one point. I thought we had it because uh, yeah. we, we were doing pretty much anything we wanted. And then you guys rushed the field at the end. So I, I, for me personally, I remember it. Very, I, I want, I want well. to talk about that. Yeah. I figured that was going to come up. And, and I think that was our first, at least as a podcast has got to talk our first introduction, maybe to you. Um, you know, I, I definitely had seen some stuff with Jamie sound off and always try to follow, you know, other podcasts in the league and whatnot. But yeah, I know there was some discourse and stuff on, on Twitter. So I definitely want to get into that. Um, but cause it's an interesting topic of like yeah. should rush or not should rush. Um, but Taylor, following up on what you said, so rewind back to this time last year, like I said, kind of deja vu. How are you feeling like this time last year going into that game on the road um, against the Georgia Southern team that, you know, I would say at that time and then certainly the end of the year that way wasn't the best team in the Sun Belt, obviously. Um, so, so yeah, were you feeling kind of the same way? I was, I along, I think with the rest of the JMU fan base was on a, a, a bit of a high, not a bit of yeah. a high, a, a really high because you know, if you listen to a lot of the preseason podcast, um, even your you know most optimistic JMU fan was like, "Look, it's our first year of FBS. Five, six wins would be great, maybe seven. Yeah. Um, but then we go in and we start off the year five and zero, and thinking at this point, not only are we five and zero, and not only are we ranked in the top twenty-five, but our win against App State looked really strong at that point because of their A and M victory. Right. Our win against Middle Tennessee State, as dominant as it was, they and they had Miami. just beaten Miami. Yeah. So at this point, you know, we went from just kind of being humbled to we're taking a step into another level of competition. But then you get five and oh, you're top 25. You've knocked off one of the top teams in the sim. But I was going into Georgia Southern pretty confident. I mean, I'll say I'll say it cocky. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, I, sure. I, I said this is this should be a double digit win. Uh, if we can do what we've done the last five weeks, we should handle this team. And I think, you know, looking back now, there were some injuries. Um, well, not injuries. Really, you know, our, our quarterback was dealing with some injuries that he suffered from the App State game, um, which led into, I don't believe he played the next game against Marshall. And then uh, we had a bye week and came back against Louisville and he wasn't full strength. But it wasn't just that. I mean, he was playing, he was well enough to play and Georgia Southern, they, they just beat us. They exposed a lot of our weaknesses. And um, this time going in, I think our team uh, in a lot of ways is better, yep. uh, but I don't know if many JMU fans calling for a double digit win. Sure. I, I think everyone's kind of looking at um, this just being a battle through into the fourth quarter. Yeah, that that's yeah. fair because I mean, like you said, we were three and three, right, going in, um, or or two, yeah, three and three, um, going in and uh, had the big win against Nebraska, but lost against UAB and lot, right? So like, um, it, yeah, it was very the the table setting was very different, I think, um, and yeah, this year I I think it's it's interesting to hear that of like say you're kind of coming in with the same in the same position, obviously not ranked but uh, undefeated, um, but the teams you've beat, which I wanted to talk about that. And I, I'm not buying stock into that whatsoever. Um, but like the, the teams you've beat so far, I know some people are saying like, Oh, well, it's not that impressive. Right. UVA is one of the worst FBS teams in the country. Bugnell's like probably the worst FCS team in the country. Um, and then, you know, so Troy obviously was, was your best win, I think. Right. Um, but 
yeah, it's interesting hearing you say that because the way the table was set going in last year, it, it would make sense to kind of be riding that high and thinking the sky's the limit where now it's more like um, cautiously optimistic, right, going in. Yeah, and I'll also say those five wins uh, that we had last year became less impressive as the season went on, hmm. whereas this year I feel like our wins are getting more impressive as the year has gone on. You know, right. uh, Utah State has had back-to-back <laughs> wins uh, South Alabama, you know, had their 55 to seven win over Louisiana Monroe. And they also had that 33 to seven win over Oklahoma state. Yep. Troy has not lost since they've played us. They knocked off True. conference USA preseason one. So uh, again, there, there's a lot of things where I'm, I'm feeling more confident as the season goes on versus last year, it was kind of a declining effect, but we were on such a high yep. last year, this year, I think we're a little bit, I keep saying we, I'm as if I'm speaking for the whole fan base, but I think most people are a little more level-headed and at the end of the day, you respect the programs like Georgia Southern, App State, Marshall. And it's not that I don't respect Old Dominion or Coastal. I mean. You could say you don't. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, th- those those teams, um, you know, they, they their time in the timeline, the history of college football uh, is, is nowhere close to what a Georgia Southern is. Yeah, I mean, th- a blur, there's a. Yeah. yeah so um, there, there's, there's a strong appreciation for this program and why I'm excited for this game and just to even be in the conference with y'all. And, and I'll, I'll just add to that too, Matt, because I think contrast to last year, Taylor kind of mentioned, we came in a game five and zero, oh, but it was also the way we were beating teams, Yeah, right? We were beating teams like middle Tennessee state. We were bigger, faster, stronger than in every single way. We yeah. pounded the rock. We were able to run the ball. Todd Santeo had an amazing arm and had amazing command of the offense. So we had so much bravado because of the way we were beating teams up first year in FBS with essentially FCS personnel, right? No right. matter how you want to shake it. You can talk a yeah. little bit about recruiting and such, but they were recruited to be FCS players. This year, I think there is a anxiousness, but also like, uh, what's the word? Like cautious optimism because we are 5-0, and but outside of Southern, South Alabama, I don't think anyone felt like we really won a game. I don't know. Like sure. we beat UVA, right? Yeah. They're, they're, I, I live right outside of Charlottesville. I hear it all the time. Like we beat them, but it was a one point game, two point game. You think about it, right? We we haven't had, we haven't come out of a Saturday and said, man, we won outside yeah. of maybe South Alabama. South Alabama. And I okay. think that the, the team feels it. The fan base feels it like Bucknell 38 to three. We played awful. I, I crucified the program on the podcast. Cause I was like, the players didn't come out um uva like tons of emotion around the game i think that's the, that's an understatement sure. those players yeah. uva was playing for everyone outside of themselves right there was tons of emotions but we we should have put that team away that yeah. team like we, it shouldn't have been as close troy great win 16 to 14 um and then utah state which i, I actually went to that game i was, I was oh in, did you I was in okay nice um amazing trip it was awesome one of my favorite stadiums i've been to that game should have been over. It shouldn't even been close. Yeah, I watched. Right. I watched most of that one, and and yeah, it was just you guys just like hit the pause button, and yeah. And I think we were just I, I, tired, right? We were just exhausted. It was it yeah. was a mental slog the last four yeah. games, right? And like South Alabama, um, you know, outside of the last seven minutes, which I I would con- constitute as like garbage time, mm-hmm. felt we felt good. We felt like a JMU football team for once. So I think there's a lot to, still to be proven 
you know, going into this week. So would you I, say that's your most impressive win? Um, okay. I'll let both of you talk to it. Cause I, I kind of claimed it as, as Troy. Cause I, I watched, I watched both games. I didn't watch the end of, of South uh, um, when they started, uh, you know, closing the gap, but like you said, in, in garbage time, I thought the Troy game was more impressive being on the road, being in kind of like a slug fest, but yeah. Interested to hear what, what you think. If you go back to our podcast, we did after Troy. Um, I, I, I think, of the four of us, I was the one saying Troy is mediocre at best. And the reason I was saying at the time is they, I think it was 48 30. They struggled against an FCS school. Then they got beaten up by Kansas state who went on to lose to Missouri the next week. So I'm coming out of that game going, you know, I think Troy was more on paper that, but as again, as the last few weeks have kind of gone through, I'm saying, you know, I, I think Troy is showing that they're, maybe the best team in the West and the same thing with South Alabama, but kind of going back to what Michael was saying, I've made the joke with some of my friends the last couple of weeks that if we played Alabama next week and UMass the week after we might win both games by three, you right. know, and it's just, yeah. that's that feeling that we have where we have yet to come out and, and dominate a team. And um, with the next two games going up against Georgia Southern and Marshall, Marshall. I'd love to see it. I think that we're capable of it, but I mean, let's just be honest. These are two of the best teams. And I really do think Georgia Southern is the best team. Uh, us and Georgia Southern, are two best teams in the Sun Belt right now. Yeah. It's interesting. I mean, I, I think, you know, speaking for Cody too, I think like jury's still out. We're, we're kind of, I think right now our fan base is feeling like you were last year going into this game. Right. I don't, not, not cockiness by any means, because honestly, I, I think it, I have no idea how it's going to play out, uh, but like I, I could see us winning by multiple scores, but I could see us losing by multiple scores. I think it's going to be a close game, um, but you know, it's we were still feeling out the offense last year. Um, you know, we uh, under a new coaching staff, the defense was atrocious. We're a lot better this year, um, and we going into that JMU game, I it, kind of like teasing to the whole storm in the field thing emotions were at all time high. Cause I don't think we had any confidence going into that game that we were going to win it. Um, and when we pulled it off, you know, it, it was like um, jubilation, right. With the fan base um, where now I think we are going in to your point, Taylor, where we know, you know, to be the best, you got to be the best. JMU is, has proven for the last year and a half that they are the best team in the East. Um, and we see this as, you know, a, a proving ground, a business trip to go up there and take care of business. I think we're equipped to do it. If the if it was reversed and it was like that last year, I, I don't think we'd stand a chance on the road. Um, but I, I definitely think we're a much better team this year at this point in the season than we were last year. Um, but with that, so you mentioned Centeno. Let's talk about quarterback play because I, I talked about Van Trees. He's obviously not there. Centeno is obviously not there. Um, so tell me about Jordan McLeod and, and, and what Georgia Southern fans should expect from him. You know, uh, like Centeno, he was a transfer. Um, he played at both what Arizona and then USF before that put up pretty good numbers at USF. Didn't get a ton of playing time at Arizona transferred to JMU. Um, I think he, he's, is, he have two years of eligibility. I know. He's got, so, he, so he's got two years left. Okay. Um, but yeah, Jordan McLeod, originally from Tampa, Florida, Plant yeah. High School, um, juggernaut right on the high school ranks. I think he was like a three fringe four-star recruit, um, threw for a lot of yards at South Florida. Didn't win a lot of games, 
threw for a lot of yards. And I believe he transferred to Arizona and followed either his head coach or the OC to uh, Arizona at the time. Unfortunately, I think he started three games and he like broke his ankle, um, was out for the season, and then eventually left the program. And that's where we found him. Um, so I think he's like 6'1", 185, dual threat. Hasn't played football since 2019, 2020. Oh, wow. I think. Okay. It's okay. been a while. Uh, or maybe maybe I'm, maybe I'm over reaching there but around that time it's been a long time since he's actually played football so um a little bit of context so we went into the season with ex- actually our redshirt freshman alonzo barnett as a starting quarterback yep. um we all think the world of him highly touted recruit um everyone in the sunbelt wanted him out of high school uh, we love him we've heard great things from him in the program um i think game one bucknell game struggled a bit out the gate right i think he finished the game like four for 15 and in an interception uh, all the talent in the world, I, I think Signani knew maybe the game is still too big at the moment. Maybe we're going yep. too fast, so we switched to Jordan. And Signetti said it over, over the offseason. You might remember him, too, at the media days. He wanted experience, particularly for that three-game stretch at UVA, Troy, and Utah State. And I think that was a calling card for McLeod to step it up. Yep. So um, Jordan, I think, has great potential with his legs, with his arm, with his experience but he's still knocking a lot of, a lot of rust off. And if you might remember, I think a week ago, uh, Signetti mentioned they're still coaching some losing habits and out of him. He had some very uh, ill-advised interceptions or turnovers against Utah state um, South Alabama in the second half. Uh, Signetti mentioned, you know, the drop back passing game had some scary situations, which is why we got fairly conservative um, in terms of the fourth quarter. Um, but McLeod did come out with a bit of confidence, moxie. He was stretching the pocket. He was throwing the ball down the field, a bit more command. Yep. So I think that's where we've got some cautious optimism going into this game because which version are we going to get? You know, the right. McLeod that's going to lead us down the field like he did versus UVA, or is it the McLeod where it's, you know, he misses a read and, and forgets to throw the ball seven yards to the tight end and get a first down, right? Like, and force the ball down the seam. So that's the Jordan McLeod story. He's a six-year senior. He's got another year left if we want him. But I I think Signetti has been more than uh, – I think his opinions have been more than public around, like, the play at the quarterback position overall. Interesting. Okay, yeah. According to ESPN here, I guess – so he last played in 21 with Arizona um, where he uh, – let's see. I mean, I, I don't have the games that he played, but he threw for 481 yards – um, two touchdowns, five interceptions. His best year I think he was. He played, yeah, go ahead. Three games and got hurt. Yeah, Is that three what games and hurt. Yeah, he, he broke his. I think he broke his ankle versus like Arizona, not Arizona, Oregon. One of those games. But his calling card was, I think, his last game at USF. He threw for like 450 yards and five touchdowns against Central Florida. Yeah. Um, for his last game, I think they lost 51-48. But that was the big highlight that everyone was seeing. Gotcha. It looked okay. a lot like Centeo. Um, but yeah. the biggest thing though, Centeo was built like a, a tank. Yeah. You know, 6'1, 230, can get the first down, run you over. Um, rocket arm. McLeod's yeah. a little bit different, right? I yeah. think he was like, I think everyone's been is still waiting for him just to let the ball rip. I think he did it one time gotcha. against Utah State for the game winning touchdown. But you can tell there's still some tentativeness there. So I think a lot of potential left in his game. Interesting. Sounds like our quarterback a little bit, like Davis Brand, um, where where Van Trees was definitely firing on all cylinders. I think by this by this point of the season, and and we've yet to really see Brand like 
unleash the arm. I think, um, you know, a lot of, a lot of underneath stuff and you guys should have had Nebraska. throws. <laughs> yeah. Had them. Oh, you mean Wisconsin? Wisconsin. Yeah. I, yeah. yeah six, both. Yeah. Six picks. I watched, uh, I watched five, a bit five, of pick, five picks, six turnovers. So yeah. We had a fumble by, by Bryn. So yeah, it was, it was bad game um, for him for sure, but he's, he's definitely, he hasn't thrown one since um, and hasn't turned the ball over since. And I think we might've had maybe one fumble since, but yeah, definitely taking care of the football um, a lot better. Um, and yeah, and that's, that's kind of been the theme so far of us this season is kind of where last year it was like proving ground. Didn't really know how we were going to break in the new offense transition from run heavy to pass heavy. Um, this year we know what we can be and it's more like battle against ourselves. So that's how Wisconsin was like, we, you know, it's, it's cliche, but like we were the better team on the field there. And then, but you're never going to win, turn the ball over six times. So, um, but Anyway, so so yeah, so that's that's interesting. Tell me about the defense. So, you know, again, a bit deja vu there. Um coming into the game, uh, I think you're what number one against the run, I would imagine. Um, this year, just yeah, like I, th- I think we're we're averaging, I mean, obviously college like football. 38, yeah. Taylor, you, you got the stats. Like, <laughs> why, why don't you share this one? <laughs> I think yeah, you know, because if you go to the NCAA site, we don't get ranked among the other teams because we're in that transition here, but at, you can see I was so I think, about, I, yeah I believe Miami is number one at like 58 yards per game or something and I know JMU's at 38 yards per game so I mean there's a there's a, a big difference between first and second place I mean our our rush game um at Michael talk the, the Troy running back I, I can't remember his name yeah so I I love so Troy has just turned into like an offensive juggernaut since we last played him because Gunnar Watson's thrown for 300 yards Kamani Vidal I think he ran for 245 yards his last game and now reads and leads the NCAA in rushing right so it's just like that's a testament and I think to your point like was was Troy our best victory um just like in the FCS going to FBS like JMU football teams are built on the line of scrimmage. Mm-hmm. That, that's it. Our offensive lines have always been bigger, faster, stronger than opposing offensive lines. Same with the defensive line. And that's where Signetti has really built the program. Like it all starts up front. Yeah. Um, James Carpenter, you've probably heard his name on, on pretty much every podcast, former tight end walk on from, from Roanoke or right outside Roanoke um, has now turned into arguably the best defensive lineman in, in, in the Sunbelt at six, one, two eighty two. Right. You would, he, if you met him in person in line at a, at, you know, anywhere else, you'd be like, Oh, he's a big guy, but he, he would not be the most imposing figure. I'll, I'll just, sure. I'll, I'll just pre- prepare it that way. But then you've got guys on the edge, like Mikhail Kamara, um, Jalen green, right? Like guys have been third, fourth year in the program. Um, I can only imagine our, our best defensive player last year, Isaac Ukwu transferred to Ole Miss um, for his seventh or sixth year in college. Only could imagine if he stayed on. Right. Yeah. So well, and the guy that we lost of, at the Bucknell game. Oh yeah. Also, we've lost um Abby Akanji, um 6'4, 285, like defensive tackle, defensive end hybrid. We lost the Torres ACL versus and we haven't had our two starting linebackers for the last three weeks either. You know, that's so. true. Yeah, <laughs> like arguably two. So Signetti said uh Jalen Walker and Torres Jones are two starting linebackers, are two of our top 10 best players, and they haven't played since UVA. Um, so we've had two, uh, Did you expect them back against us or has he, well, here's, here's the thing is the two guys that have replaced them 
part of me says if they're well, they're going to need to earn their spot back right. because the two sure. guys that have come behind yeah. them have done. I mean, we're number one in the country in, in rush defense. So yeah. um, number, number 11, Aiden Fisher, he's a retro freshman, right? 6'1", 240, probably the best. He's, he's played probably the best at linebacker in the conference. Mm-hmm. I mean, he, he is all over. I think he's been averaging like 12 tackles, like handful of tackles for losses, has a couple picks in there as well. Only a freshman. Um, yeah. And Trent Hendrick, another guy you need to know of, 6'1", 240, backup linebacker. Like they filled in. You can tell the difference. They might be even better. I don't know. Like you tell me, Taylor, but like, who knows how we're going to deploy all four linebackers going forward, assuming they're all healthy. Um, but like I said, it all starts up front. I think on the back end is where you've got some wild cards of where are we going to go? And and Signetti has, has not been afraid of playing young players. So we've played a uh, true freshman, D'Angelo Pons, sort of the boundary quarter position outside of Chauncey Logan. Um, Miami, Florida kid, five, nine, one eighty. I think he's got like two or three picks already since he started two games ago. Um, he actually plays the ball, which is yeah. like, <laughs> which is what we've needed. And then what's interesting, we walked into the season with five seniors at safety. So in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, like they might out athlete us, they might outspeed us, but they're not going to out scheme us. Right. And I think what's the surprising yeah. part of, we've seen some blown coverages, people not being where they're supposed to be. Um, which is like not very JMU-esque. That's where we're trying to figure out, like if we're going to be so aggressive up front, we have to have some sort of conservatism on the back end as well. But Taylor, I know you've got uh, you've got an awesome stat around our passing game. I know you're just ready, ready to rock and roll. <laughs> so I, I, I pulled out my my notes from the, from the last, the, the South Alabama episode and talking a little bit about how our, the passes, yards per pass per game has gone yep. from, 19 yards per pass at UVA to 13 at Troy to 14 at Utah state to 10 at South Alabama. So it's trending in the right direction, but 61% of UVA's passing yards came on four plays. 58% of Utah state's passing yards came on three plays. And to Michael's point, if you go back and watch the Troy game, I believe it's the touchdown where they get that second touchdown. The guy's just wide open in our, our corner and our safety are just looking at each other, yelling at each other, and I don't to this day, I don't know who blew the coverage, but it's not a matter of we're getting outmatched. To Michael's point, it's surprising. It's it's some of the schemes. Now, having said that, my theory also is when you're being so aggressive to stop the rush and to the, the, the pass rush, we're taking a lot of one-on-one risks where yep. we're exposing ourselves and putting ourselves in a position where that long ball or that long play can really hurt us. And you've seen that in the statistics, but um, the only thing I'll say is I am seeing that downward trend, but I believe I wrote down before the show that you guys are ninth in the country in pass offense. And I don't have the statistics in front of me, but I'm almost positive we've haven't faced anyone anywhere close to that yet. So um we'll see. You know, that's that's the question. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna ask. I mean, obviously Vantrese, you know, throws for well over 500 yards last year. That was a shootout. Um, it was interesting that game in Paulson and Michael, you were there for it. It, you know, you guys came in with a great uh run defense, um, number one in the country again. Um, and but you you offensively, you were also really good running the ball coming into the game, but you kind of abandoned it. Like, uh, you know, I think this was the game where I felt we were playing Madden because we had three yes. or four fourth and one or fourth and two situations where we went deep. 
Yeah. And I will never understand. I was like, we were averaging maybe like 5.4 yards. A Our carry. rush defense was terrible last year. Just hand the ball to Percy, run an yeah. option. But but we would throw the deep the deep ball constantly like Chris Thornton at the time. And I was like, what are we doing? Yeah. Just run the ball. It, so, it played into our hand. I mean, you hundred percent. Yeah, you made it like yeah, you made it like you said, like a like a Madden game where it was just let's let's see who can throw more. And obviously, yeah, we that's I think why we prevailed because we were better equipped for that. But uh, but yeah, it was just really interesting. So, you know, do do you think eye test wise, because stats don't tell the full story always. Um, and like you said, yeah, the haven't haven't really faced that true test in, in the air attack. But do you think the defensive line or do you think that the front seven is as good or better than it was last year? And it seems like the secondary might have taken a step back. But how big of a step do you think that has been? I'll let Michael take the back end of this because he's going to have a little bit more in depth. But in, in my opinion, going into this year it was the secondary should not be an issue because like Michael said, the amount of experience that we had coming in there, um, we lost our top defensive lineman to, to Ole Miss. Um, you know, we had some question marks that we were rotating in some guys there where, you know, I, I don't think we felt that we were going to be bad, but it was, it was more of a question. Can we replicate that front seven this year? Secondary, not, it's not going to be an issue. And that's why I'm, you know, I'm not a coach, so I can't break this down like a coach would. I, I just can't imagine that we've taken that big of a drop off the secondary um, from a skill wise or an experience perspective. I, I really think it has to have something to do with how we're running our defense and just making our guys a lot more vulnerable, but we're, we're making that risk. And, and so far it's, it's paid off these past five games. Yeah. There there's, I posted a clip. Um, I'll, I'll share it here later, but it, it was pretty much like the spirit of our Jamie defense. It was versus Carter Bradley. It was like a six man pressure. Like he gets destroyed in the backfield and just mm. throws a one-on-one ball. Our guy knocks it out. And I said, that is Jamie defense. He gets up, he's limping like that offensive line. Like everyone's trying to figure out who to block who. And he's throwing 50, 50 balls. And we're playing percentages on if there, your guy is better than our guy at that point. Yeah. Like, Carter Bradley had no idea what happened at the end of that play. <laughs> that's that's what makes me nervous because Bryn holds on to the ball a bit longer than Van Trees did. He is more mobile, but our offensive line definitely has taken a step back. We have a new offensive line coach. Um, you know, we only gave up six sacks all of last year. Um, we gave up six wow. sacks, I think, through the first three games of this year. So, um, you know, I think half of those came against Wisconsin, but again, it was it was a number of things. So, um, the pass rush, uh, thinking that's probably going to be the same game plan, right? Um, that makes me nervous going into this. That's going to be the the big matchup. Um, I know Cody agrees to 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 watch is how how well does our offensive line um fair because i think this will be their their toughest test yeah yeah i think for 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 jmu fans right like our first quarters in both sides of the ball have been dominant but on the defensive side we sort of hit a lull like in the end of the second quarter third quarter where our pass rush whether we're just rushing four or probably not blitzing as much that's where it gets a little bit you know are our guys running out of steam like do we need to rotate some more players in that's typically where the other opponents start pouncing on us. Yep. Is when that gets slowed down. But I agree. I think football is always a line of scrimmage game. Um, I the only piece of I guess like security I feel is Utah State, I think, runs a fairly similar concept offensively, like a lot of using the entire field, 
um, you know, stacking receivers at the edge of the hatches, a lot of bunch formations, like quick, you know, quick uh, screen game passes. So I think we've seen something similar, but not, I mean, different athlete, right? Like yeah, right. Der- Derwin. We Burgess, have more, we have way more speed. Yeah. 100%. I just think like, I'm glad that we saw that already. Yeah. Um, but the question is, right. If Bryn gets comfortable back there, if he starts hitting the four yard gains, five yard gains, and just like paper cutting us down the field, that's what happened last year. Yeah. Um, right. So I'd be really curious, like if we try to slow the ball down or just try to go out early, um, I don't know. It's just so exciting. And we've got two, we got, we both are coming off bye weeks. I know. Like, who knows? Maybe we'll start a different quarterback. <laughs> there you <laughs> go. Yeah. <laughs> I don't, I don't think we will. <laughs> so, um, but, uh, so I, I, I don't want to keep you guys too long. I know. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, but so let's get, we'll step away from the stats a little bit and talk uh, again. I want to talk about the, the rush to field thing, but before we get into that, I know we're going to have, uh, fans that make the trip up to Virginia. So obviously our first trip up there, um, I wanted to make that trip. Um, but again, I, I live in Colorado, so it's, it's a flight. It's, you know, a lot of logistics for me. Um, but I've been to that part of the country before. Um, I've stayed, I think it was Graves Mountain is what it was. It was like a, um, like a farm like thing resort there. And I think not far outside of Charlottesville, um, but in the Shenandoah Valley, there's the Shenandoah uh, National Park beautiful beautiful part of the country so um but what can our fans that make the trip up there either this saturday or in the future um what do they need to know um about uh the stadium about the game day atmosphere everything um i'm a bit of a history junkie and so i i I love the history of rockingham county and harrisonburg in particular um for anyone going you know it is a noon game so i'm guessing uh, not going to be a lot of time before the game maybe to enjoy things, but maybe Friday night or later on Saturday night, just head head to downtown Harrisonburg. It is a small little town, um, but there are dozens and dozens of uh, boutique restaurants and bars. And I mean, there's a great wing place, a great pizza place. There's a great uh, burger place. There's Jimmy Madison's. There's Cuban Burger. There's, I mean, just park park and then pull out your phone and start looking at all the restaurants right around you. There's a ton of places downtown, all very walkable and, um, you know, hit up two or three places down there. As far as the stadium, um, if you've seen our stadium, you can see it right back there. Um, geographically, uh, there's a lake, a small lake. It's more of a pond, but a Newman Lake is to one side of it. On the other side is Godwin Hall. So you don't have this 360 degree entryway into the stadium so really you only have four points of entry okay and um because it's an early game and people are jmu fans love to tailgate they're all going to try and push their luck and see how long they can tailgate so i would say if you're entering the stadium before 11 30 you're going to cruise right in if you try to enter the stadium at seven four uh, i said seven thirty like 10 till or something yeah if you try to 10 10 till 15 till you might miss a little bit of the first quarter. So, so try to get in there before 1130. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it, we, we were really proud of our, you know, people joke caught half of the stadium, but, uh, it's 25,000 seats. Yeah. The side where the visitors are going to be on is the newer section. So you got a lot of the amenities and everything over there. Gotcha. Um, and assuming if you're in the Georgia Southern seats, which is in the upper deck, you will have a beautiful view of the Shenandoah Valley from up there. Um, nice. But yeah, great places to eat, great place to watch a game. And uh, if you 
do see any JMU fans, I, I promise you 99% of them would love to have you over at their tailgate, give you a drink, give you some food. Um, we're really excited to be in a conference with you guys. Yeah, Very I was cool. going to say, we're, we're the type of people where um, we're about, everyone is family until kickoff. Sure, uh, yeah. So if you see someone, if you're walking around, like, go say hi, you know, introduce yourself, they'll, they'll, they'll share a beer, take some shots together, all of that, right, until... Till kickoff, that dynamic changes a little bit. But I'll do make a person, not a personal plug, but my favorite burger place downtown is Jack Brown's. And Jack Brown's, it, okay. it, it seats maybe like 20 people. So good luck. But if yeah. you can get in there, tons of beer options, um, fun like burger varieties and combos, like that, that's that's always uh, my go-to watering hole. Okay. Good to know. Yeah. Usually we like stick together. Like we obviously have all the groups and forums and stuff. They usually kind of pick one place for dinner, one with like the bar that they want to kind of take over. Um, and I'm not sure what that, what that, those choices are just yet, but, um, but, uh, but yeah, that's definitely good to know. Um, I definitely want to make that trip there, um, soon in the future here in maybe two years, but, um, so I guess let's, yeah, let's close it out with, um, with the field storming of last year and, and kind of talk through that. Um, Michael, I'll, I'll let you kind of take the floor here and uh, rehash kind of your, your thoughts yeah. on that. Um, you know, cause um, I'm sure a lot of our, our listeners don't really know um, that whole story, but you know, you, like you said, attended the game. Um, we knew kind of what the stakes were, um, but then, uh, yeah, after, after we win, um, you're there to see the, the field storming firsthand, um, and had, you know, some, some critical remarks on, on, on social media, right. Following. Yeah, that. no, hundred percent. And honestly, like when I look back at it, right. That, that was a game I thought, you know, we should have won, right. We were yeah. controlling the game. Like we mentioned the fourth down play calling all of that stuff. But honestly, when I saw the I saw them rushing field, I, I was thinking more about it from a JMU perspective than a Southern Georgia Southern perspective. Because sure. I thought we're five and zero, we're top twenty five, we're used to being number one. But you know, at the end of the day, FCS versus FBS, right? And I was like, man, like I think we made it. I think this is like this is this is what we've always wanted is like JMU being perceived as like a team worthy to storm. Sure. And it wasn't like you know uh, you know some lowly startup. It was Georgia Southern. Like right. this is a program that has national championships, like took over the SoCon, like beat Florida, I think in their first year in FBS. And, um, you know, they, we were, we were the program worthy of a storm rush. That's that, or, or a field rush. That's what my perspective was. Okay. Honestly, like, you know, rushing the field, man, like it's college athletics. Like you got students. That's how there, I look at it. Yeah. It's like, like us. We're, yeah. we're electric. We're passionate. Do whatever you want. But I looked at it. I was just like, man, we, this is remember this moment. Like, that's why I took a picture. I was like one year from now, when they come to Bridgeforth, this is what, this should be everywhere in the Pleckers, the Plecker stadium, like in, in Bridgeforth, like people should be looking at them rushing the field. Gotcha. Yeah. And I mean, I, I, I feel the same way. Um, I, I think it's the beginnings of a great rivalry, you know, and I, I talked about this on our podcast, you know, Part of me wants to say, man, Old Dominion's our top rival because of the history we have in the CAA. And then I was like, well, but then there's App State. That's our top rival. And I'm like, well, but then we're a lot like Marshall. And they're in West Virginia. That's our top rival. But then I see this, the, yeah. the way the game played out against Georgia Southern. I was like, you know, maybe they could be. And then, we, you know, I, we, we have no love lost for Coastal Carolina. Yeah. So it's almost no like we want to be we want to be the top rival of every team. But, you know, where I, I feel like the same thing with Michael. It, it felt good as a JMU fan after the bitterness wore off to be like, it's pretty cool to feel like you're, you're a, 
you're a team that that Georgia Southern, a, a program like Georgia Southern that yeah. we respected. But I'll also say if if the shoe was on the other foot and I'm Georgia Southern, you know, here comes this FCS school and their fans are cocky. They're arrogant. They're five and oh, they think. And, you know, you, App State couldn't beat them. Texas State couldn't beat a militancy, and you finally come. You shut them up. You knock them out of the that's, top twenty-five. That's honestly that was kind if, of the feeling. That was kind if, of the vibe. Yeah. If I was, if I was, if the shoe was on the other foot, I'm rushing that field too, and and because it's kind of almost like you guys thought you could just walk into FBS and this would be the same thing as FCS. We're here to let you know this is another level of football. It was, and it was a little bit of humble pie. Yeah. Yeah. But like I. I think too, though, I mean, you were ranked, right? So like, like you were five and zero, and you were ranked. Um, so regardless of all the buildup to get there and all the history of coming from FCS or not, I mean, you could have, you know, it could have been ULM. And if, if they came in 25th in the nation, I think we're storming the field after that game, regardless. Um, yeah. You know, especially, I res- I res- yeah, especially I respect the, the way, field rush. Yeah, especially the way we won too, because it, like it being a shootout. I think if it was, yeah, it was a comeback, we won yeah, by several. Absolutely. Yeah, I think if we, yeah, it was a comeback. It was a high scoring game. If it was like a slugfest or like if we won by ten or something, I don't know. Maybe it doesn't happen. The other Agreed. point of context that you guys probably wouldn't know um, is that we don't get that opportunity often. Um, so you know, it's it's uh, we've in recent memory we've stormed the field three times as an FBS program, I think, when we won the Sun Belt, our first full season as an FBS member in 2014. I was there for that. We beat ULM on a last-second play, knocked the ball loose in the end zone. Matt Dobson um, rushed the field because there was no conference championship game, so we finished 8-0. We we win the conference. Um, so rushed the field there. There was a whole on-field ceremony with the trophies uh, presentation, all that. It was awesome. Then 2018 being app. Um, after a terrible year in 2017 and 2016, um, beat app. They come in 25th in the country. We knock them off, storm the field, and then you guys last year. So, you know, we've never had a Power Five team visit Paulson. Very, very hard to schedule them there. Um, you know, we have the third best winning percentage of all FBS programs behind Notre Dame and Michigan, I believe. Um, it's yeah, it's really hard to get anyone to come down to Statesboro. Um, so I, I think that was a part of it too. It was a bit of a humble thing of like, hey, you know, uh, you're not the big dog just yet. Um, and then also probably just it, regardless of what uh, your jersey said, you were the 25th team in the country. So we're going to take that opportunity. <laughs> I think, and I, Taylor, you can check me on this, but I think the last time JMU fans stormed their own field was against your friends in in Boone, North Carolina, App State okay. in 2000. Yep. Yeah. It was that. And then before that, it was 04 against Delaware because they were reigning national champs. Okay. So we've only done it twice. But I, I'll gotcha. say this. If if the App State game, and Michael, you can tell me if you think differently, but the App State game that we played last year, if that game under the same circumstances, the same score and everything happened in Bridgeforth Stadium, App State wasn't even ranked. I, I, I think the students would have been rushing the field there just because of how the game was played out and everything leading up to it. So I assume they're still there until the end, given the, Ooh, Ooh, ooh that very was, true. Yeah, I had very to say, true. I was like, that scored <laughs> halftime. Amen. Amen. <laughs> do your, do your fan, do your students have a history of leaving early? Well, so 
we, we've got like two thoughts like two thoughts here right like i've got the we're used to winning by three to four scores yeah so by the third quarter right it's 31 to 10 i get it go do other things go be a student go party with your family or, or whoever's there right but i think i don't know taylor you're very critical but you're also very logical about it at the same time I am, you know, so we actually average uh, 8,000 students per game, um, which I mean, that number. So when I worked in college athletics, that was a number that there were a lot of P5 programs not getting that. So when 8,000 students show up and only half are there in the fourth quarter, you know, we still have 4,000 students. But the problem is, if we're giving up 8,000 seats of a 25,000 seat stadium, you're giving up a third of the state of the students. it, It looks a little empty. But to Michael's point. I think they are just used to winning. And even last year, Middle Tennessee State was a blowout. Texas State was a blowout. Coastal Carolina was a blowout. Marshall, we weren't starting our starting quarterback. And when we got down, I think a lot of students were like, we ain't going to win because we, we don't have Todd. So, you know, um, I, I, I'm very critical of our students. And I call on them because I think we've had 20 years without a losing season. And I, right. I kind of want them to appreciate what they have because – as uh, you know, you guys have gone through, you had a oh, yeah. similar two decade reign and then had that little skid for a couple of years. I want to tell our JMU students, you're going to have years where JMU is four and eight, three and nine. Yeah. Don't take it for granted. You know, yeah. We exactly. said all the time. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. 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 No. Cause yeah, Cody and I were there in the uh, early and mid uh, two or mid two thousands um, when we abandoned the triple option in the FCS days and we're bad. Um, and, and then we graduated once we brought in Jeff Munkin and reinstated the triple option and flex phone. Um, and then obviously moved up after that and started really good. Then had some bad coaching hires. So yes, uh, that's, that's the thing is like, um, you talking through that, we definitely have some fans that both alumni and, and current students that I think are, are somewhat spoiled, um, or, or yeah, maybe just take it for granted. So, um, there's a lot of similarities between our fan bases. I will say that. Like, I know you kind of talked about the rivalries and you not everyone could be a rival and maybe ours doesn't make the most geographic sense because um, you definitely have some some closer ones there in the East Division. Um, but, you know, there, yeah, th- there's a ton of parallels between our two programs. If, if Saturday, if there's some controversy Saturday in a close game and JMU comes out on top, I'm sure both fan bases will already be circling the 2024 date, <laughs> you know, oh, 100%. Just, yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And again, I, I, I think situations like that and the environment really is what makes it happen. You know, so you have that at app, you have that at Marshall doesn't seem like you have that at ODU. Um, and <laughs> so, so, you know, it's, it's, even if you have those close games, even if you have those controversial calls, if you're doing it in front of, you know, a lackluster fan base, I don't think you're going to, you're going to have it there, but that's why, you know, like us in Georgia state, like we're a rival, I guess, cause we're in state. Um, but app states are big, biggest rival because one, we have so much history there, but both fan bases are so passionate. Um, we have winning traditions, both of us, and we just hate each other where Georgia state is just kind of this commuter school suitcase college in Atlanta. <laughs> yeah. I'd like to give you some context, right? Outside of like basketball on the football field with ODU, you know, they jumpstarted their program. They took us down and probably two of our most down years in 12 and 13, when we didn't have, a, we didn't have anything. And, mm-hmm. you know, it was just really dark days. It's when I was in school, but it, they were the, you know, they got called up because of TV markets. 
Yeah. Right. No matter how you want to say it, right? At the end of the day, they were in Norfolk, they're in, in an urban market. Conference USA, that's what they thought expansion was going to be. And at the time, we turned down the Sun Belt in 2013, for better or for worse. So it's been 10. So that victory last year, we beat them in Norfolk. That is That was 10 years of alumni frustration, program frustration, because they yeah. were throwing up the 2-0. and sure. with Taylor Heineke, who's, who's made a hell of a career in the NFL. Yep. They were throwing up the 2-0 and for a decade. Mm-hmm. And Matt, when we beat that ass in Norfolk and made it, it was unquestionable who was the king of the Commonwealth. That felt really good last year. And it's going to feel really good this year at homecoming again. So there you go. There's a little there context. <laughs> there you go. So it, it does seem like there's a little bit of rivalry there with just the, the passion in your voice. Yeah. It, it seems very similar to us in state. It's like, it's, there's, there, there's state it's kind of hate and it's, you know, unfortunately they've had the, the best of us the last couple of years they don't really have the fan base to like back it up. Um, but it's, yeah, it's, it's just a, it's a different vibe with them where like an app state there's hatred, but there's also respect. Right. Mm-hmm. So like, I think that's probably what you guys, it seems are, are missing is finding that next rival. Um, it's going to take time, but that you mutually respect and hate at the same time. Right. Um, so I'll close it out here, guys, real quick. Do you have like, five more minutes i have one more question um so big story with jmu obviously the last two years is is the transition from fcs to fbs um you did things a little bit differently than than georgia southern and app did uh in 2013 and 14 where we both played um primarily an fcs schedule in 2013 um, weren't eligible for the playoffs weren't eligible to win the socon um moved up in 2014 again we win the sun belt because there was no conference championship game so it wasn't a postseason couldn't make a bowl game didn't make a bowl game until um until 2015 uh you guys obviously were the the outright winners um, of uh, the East last year, but couldn't be the East representative in the game. Uh, Coastal Carolina, who you dominate in the regular season, goes on to represent the East. They get beat by Troy. Um, now you find yourselves in, in the same situation because you you know that that first transition year you were playing a full um, FBS schedule, but because of the I think everyone can agree really dumb NCAA rule, um, you're once again not eligible for the postseason except for bowl. I guess right if there's not enough bowl eligible teams, you technically can make a bowl but still can't represent the East. Um, so what is that like for a fan base? Again, Georgia Southern went through it, but it's it's been a decade now since we went through it. Um, it was certainly frustrating at the time, but we didn't have to do it two years in a row. Um, so, you know, what is that like for a fan base? I know you can't speak for like the players, but I mean, what have you kind of heard around the program? Because, you know, some could look at it and, and say, we well, don't have anything to play for, which I think we're all in agreement is not the case, but just, yeah. What, what, what is that like? Um, you know, with my background, when I worked in college athletics, I, I understand why the rule existed or exists. Um, and I believe there was purpose to it. I think given some of the changes in the landscape of college football, um, it, it's becoming a little bit of an outdated rule, but to give some perspective on why maybe JMU fans are so uh, boisterous in their, uh, not disgust, but disappointment in, in what it is, you can go back and find articles being written when it was being announced that we were going to the Sun Belt, and 
it, it wasn't a read between the lines. I mean, it was flat out said, like, we're going to try and get a waiver for year one, but year two shouldn't be an issue. And yeah. I think a lot of JMU fans were um, – I, I don't want to use the word on mis- that. Yeah, because it wasn't – I'm not putting any blame on JMU's administration, but there were some very, you know – black and white comments said that year one was like the probably won't, but maybe, but year two was almost kind of like a done deal and they kind of sold it. So a lot of the mainstream fan base that maybe isn't on the message boards and on Twitter all the time, all they know is that they heard year one, probably not year two, definitely. And I think it's caught a lot of people by surprise, people like you and me and Michael, who were kind of in the nitty gritty, like we get it and we understand. Um, but in terms of what we're playing for, I think that's why it just why being undefeated right now means so much. Why that Kings of the East last year and those things, because I think the more success that we can have in the years where we're not eligible, um, it almost might work out in our favor and get more PR, you know, people writing about how good this team is and they're not sure. eligible versus you know, we go eight and four or nine and three and go to a, a bowl game. I, so I think there's a little the Cinderella story, you know, the little engine that could, and, and we're not quite getting to where we, so I, I think there is a lot to play for both in establishing ourselves in the Sun Belt, continuing to play for that undefeated season. And at the end of the day, claiming the best team in Virginia and, you know, claiming what we could have. You know, I think that Kings of the East, I think being the best team in the East is something that we're striving to do again and being able to go into 2024 fully eligible with mm-hmm. all these other things we can hang our hat on. That makes yeah. a lot of sense because it's how you string it along, right? Like I, I tell Cody all the time, like especially in the group of five, it's it, you you can't look it, you you have you have to look at like a two to three year like string, right? And that's why you're not seeing Wyoming ranked and then like all of this kind of stuff. Where if a Notre Dame or like one of those P five blue buds, um, you know, they could go winless one year and then they could start the next season five and zero, oh, they're ranked. <laughs> you know? yeah, I, um, yeah. And I will say, I do want to give Georgia Southern credit um, because while while we may be enemies on the field on Saturday, uh, the past few weeks, I've, I've appreciated some of the Georgia Southern faithful jumping on the JMU bandwagon to help uh, silence a certain football team that I won't even name in Virginia because Virginia Tech fans have pretty much acknowledged JMU's the best team. And UVA fans have acknowledged JMU's the best team. Old Dominion, they don't have to acknowledge it because they know it. But there's one other team in Virginia that will go unnamed, but they're the fifth FBS school in Virginia. They're in Conference USA. They're also undefeated. And um, they think beating Sam Houston State and New Mexico Technical College, and I don't even know who's on their schedule. But anyway, uh, I've appreciated Georgia Southern jumping on the bandwagon. We're not not fans of them either. We did face them in a bowl (laughs) game. They got the best of us in Orlando where I lived at the time. And so it was in my backyard. But, yes, not not a fan of of that. To all the Georgia Southern fans, thank you. I was going to say, like, (laughs) your your fans are like us online, and it's great, right? That's why we love X or Twitter, whatever we want to call it, right? Like, we're we're passionate fan bases. Just to add some more context to Taylor on that note, right? Like, you have to realize we came, what, six points away from beating North Dakota State in 2021 Mm -hmm. um, to go in, you know, wrapping up our FCS legacy with a national championship, unfortunately fell short. And then the Sun Belt with Keith Gill helped us play a full FBS schedule in year one. And, you know, we, we did that. We secured, I think, what it was like six FBS games or whatever the qualification was to be an FBS opponent. 
So we didn't go through a, you know, transitionary FCS, FBS schedule. We played a full FBS um, schedule right from the jump. Yeah. And the, the whole thing is like crazy because, you know, the, the NCAA has a, has a waiver to make sure an institution is financially fit, right. in, in infrastructure, all of that. And when you look at it, right, no matter how you shake it, right, $62 million athletic budget, brand new basketball facility, the softball run, football field, like 25,000 stadium, hopefully 35K, 40K down the road, right? Like at the end of the day, it checked all the boxes that Taylor was mentioning. And the media was like, year two, done deal, duh. Like there's no other organization that was financially ready to make the move. We could have done it 10 years ago and we've said it out loud. So I think there's a little bit of that frustration as well. And you've got a lot of folks like chiming from the rooftop. I'm in the band of just when, when shuts everybody up and that shuts everything up. Yep. And makes the people that can make the decision have to make very tough decisions later down the road as well. Right. Yep. Yeah. That's, that's definitely what it seems like. Cause it was like, they're, they're realizing that the rule doesn't apply across the board. There's going to be exceptions. And, uh, and yeah, even though, um, you know, you can be the martyr basically, right? Like it, like, even though if you don't benefit from that, you can at least show, and then maybe there's change for, I mean, now I know they're making the rules harder for an FCS to, to, to come up, but, um, if that happens again in the next five or 10 years, um, yeah, maybe that rule changes with it, um, because of the immediate success that you guys found. Um, so, very cool, guys. So, uh, yeah, I, that's that's all I have. So I'll let you go. But before I do, um, why don't you give our listeners just, uh, again, um, where they can find you, where they can listen to JMU Sound Off. I know you guys previewed Georgia Southern already, so they'll definitely want to go check that out. Yeah, you can find us on uh, JMU Sound Off on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. We actually have a LinkedIn page. Um, every Sunday night at eight o'clock, uh, we do a live stream on uh, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. It's a simulcast. And then uh, from there, we archive it on those platforms as well, put it in a podcast form, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. So we're kind of, we're, we're all over the place. And like I said, the other two members of our team, John McNamara and Steve Brown, uh, John, who's really the He's the one that has really helped form the production of all this and has a lot of the media background that helps us make it. So, um, yeah, check us out on, uh, on, on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all the social media platforms. We, we would love to engage the Southern Georgia Southern fan base. Uh, you know, we're, we're friends until Saturday, Saturday, one side or the other. There's going to be some bitterness for a couple of weeks. But, you know, come the offseason, we'll, we'll all kumbaya again until next year. And uh, But, yeah, I've said it a lot of times this podcast. I'm really excited to be in the conference with you guys. Yeah, we're going to say any better. Yeah. Very cool. All right, gentlemen. Well, appreciate it. Um, and yeah, let's definitely do this again, um, you know, next, next year. And, um, you know, outside of Saturday, good luck for the rest of the season. <laughs> um, and, uh, and yeah, um, thanks guys. Okay. Eagle nation. So now we are joined by uh, half of the, uh, um, Frary and Smith podcast. So we were joined by half of the JMU sound off. 
now half of uh, Ferry and Smith, um, which if you're not familiar, I think most of our listeners probably are, um, but they cover all of the Sun Belt. So uh, certainly if you follow um, our podcast, Gotta Talk on on social, especially Twitter, you've seen us reshare a lot of uh, their stuff. They do um, a great job with their marketing and and all of the graphics that they make. Um, so yeah, I'll turn it now to uh, Noah Frary, um, one half of uh, the Ferry and Smith podcast. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, Matt, really appreciate it. Wish Caden could have come on. He's had a, a busy weekend. It just didn't work out. I know uh, he he loves talking some Georgia Southern football. He always loved the rivalry. He hated playing down in Statesboro. Uh, so, you know, leave it to an App State Mountaineer to to dunk or to ditch on a, uh, you know, on a Georgia Southern podcast. There you go. Yeah, yeah. I I knew I knew he played at App. Um, I, I definitely listened to you guys. And um, and do you know what 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 years he was he was there? Yeah, it was a long time. I think he was there from 2016 to 2021. I know he redshirted that first year and dealt with some injuries at times, but he, uh, his career ended in 2021. So he he got to be a part of some of uh, you know some of those really good games between the two programs, and definitely got his fair share and taste of uh, the rivalry and particularly the uh, environment down in Statesboro. Gotcha. Yeah, definitely part of some of those like ranked teams that we knocked off. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. So my co-host Cody also couldn't. Uh, join us here but yeah we're we're from kind of the the dark era of georgia southern football back in the fcs days when we abandoned the triple option um in the mid-2000s so we both graduated in 2010 before um bringing on uh jeff munkin and and reinstating the flex bone option um and having some some success in fcs before um jumping up to, to fbs but um cool so yeah tell me a little bit about the podcast how long you guys have been around um, why you guys started this, why covering the Sunbelt? Yeah, I'll try to keep it short for you. But honestly, so in my day job, I'm a play-by-play broadcaster, and I do a lot of the Sunbelt's women's sports championships. The last couple of years, I've done volleyball and soccer. I generally do basketball in March. I'll do softball in May. Um, and so that was kind of my first taste of the Sunbelt. That came about three years ago at this point. And it was after about a year, I, you know, in my career, I want to continue to grow in the sport of football. And I started to realize that there just wasn't a lot of coverage that was taking place, um, you know, of the Sun Belt holistically uh, in terms of the sport of football, at least not of a national level. So uh, it, the really the story starts two years ago at Media Day. And I, I ended up at Media Days just to kind of network and meet some people, you know, again, get to know some of the faces around the league. And Ended up running into Harry Lyles, who's he's actually a Georgia State grad, now works for ESPN. You'll see him on uh, some of the Thursday night games as a sideline reporter. And pitched him my idea and said, here's what I'm thinking. And I, you know, said, I'm looking for someone, you know, that played in the league that uh, is currently in media. And he says, well, I happen to know a great name. And that was Caden Smith. So about two years ago, that was my first ever introduction. And in the span of about three weeks from the end of media day to the first week of the year, uh, Caden and I, you know, got some promo pictures done. We, you know, brought some, you know, people on board to kind of help us get this off the ground. Uh, launched our first episode with week one last year. And then, you know, we've now gone 365 days uh, of content. And there's some podcasts out there that will cover the league and, and football, but a lot of it's done during the season. I think yeah. you understand that. Uh, our goal was to provide something for fans all year long. We cover the seat, you know, during the season, we're on every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Monday is going to be a recap of the weekend. Friday is going to be a preview of the upcoming weekend. And then every Wednesday, 
we try to bring on a Sunbelt student athlete. We actually had Caleb Hood on back in week one. Uh, and then we'll go all off season long with different content. We had some different rankings. We brought several of uh, the athletic directors on and just various different content. And that was our goal was just to bring more exposure to this league, uh, a league that I think deserves the exposure and ultimately players that I think deserve more exposure. And it's been really neat. The Sunbelt community has been super welcoming to us and we've we've enjoyed getting more invested in that. We're starting to go to more games and people are starting to recognize us, which has been fun. Uh, so it's been a great journey, but uh, you know, we certainly couldn't do it out without, you know, podcasts like you guys who reshare our content. It was never our goal to come in and steal listeners from current Sunbelt podcasts. It was to just provide a holistic look at the conference outside yeah. of maybe the podcast that you listen to uh, for your specific team. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I mean, you know, we, we have such great, uh, you know, team centric podcast, you know, like, uh, not, not just ours, but uh, the JMU sound off the rage and review black and gold podcast. We've been on all of those. They've been on ours. Um, you know, it's for a G five conference. I think we have some of the best content out there, honestly. And, you know, when, uh, as our listeners know, we started back in 2018 when that wasn't the case. I think I think Black and Gold was around. Not sure about Rage and Review. Um, obviously, JMU and and all, all the newcomers weren't weren't in yet. Um, and there definitely wasn't a podcast. There there wasn't a podcast covering Georgia Southern at the time. Certainly wasn't one covering uh, Sunbelt Conference. And and you guys are top notch. I mean, everything you do from production value of the the podcast itself to all the marketing efforts. I'm in marketing myself, so definitely appreciate that. Um, and I know our fans um appreciate georgia southern fans appreciate just having something to listen to in the off season um and then also just having content to engage with on on social media um with with all the rankings and all of the 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 fanfare stuff that you guys do yeah it's been a fun journey and uh certainly looking forward to uh you know continuing that as we move forward the the season just heating up as you well know and uh we're excited to kind of see what the next you know six to seven weeks hold so let's jump in there. Um, we d- I definitely want to talk a little bit about this huge matchup between Georgia Southern and JMU this weekend. Um, but I wanted to start off just kind of give me your overall view of the landscape of the Sunbelt Conference. Um, Cody and I did this a couple of weeks ago, kind of our Sunbelt Preview 2.0, right? We obviously did our Sunbelt Preview, um, who we thought was going to win the East and the West uh, before the season started. But now that we're more than a quarter of the way in, um, everyone's played conference games. Uh, most teams are through with their out-of-conference out of schedule. Um, so, uh, you know, who did you kind of like coming in? Um, and then how has that changed? What's been kind of the biggest surprise, um, good or bad? Um, yeah, after the first quarter of the season. Yeah, I think for me, you know, coming into the season in terms of the East and the West, I, I thought Coastal Carolina was going to be amongst the, you know, better teams in the East division. They were bringing back most of their offense. And as we all know, that that prediction's not come true. They have looked like a shell of themselves this year. So to me, they've been a big disappointment. And, you know, Caden and I coming into the year were both really high on South Alabama. Uh, they were bringing back, I believe it was 19 starters this year and a lot of just, you know, returning production at every level, every position. And again, much like Coastal Carolina, they have flopped uh, early on this season. I still think there's a path forward for both of those teams, uh, you know, to get back into title conversations, but they're going to have to start winning and they're going to have to do it quickly and often for the rest of the year. You know, coming into the year, I think when you look at the East, most people thought James Madison was going to be good again. That clearly has happened. 
I think for me, when I was looking at the East, I felt like there was an opportunity for a couple of dark horses to emerge. I'm on record in the offseason of saying that I feel like that this Georgia Southern team had a chance, an outside chance at being a eight, nine, maybe even a 10 win football team. And I think through five weeks, I feel like that take is, is coming true at this point. Their defense has been improved this year. The offense, I really don't feel like has has skipped much of a beat this year with Kyle Van Treese walking away and Davis Brin being inserted into his place. I think Marshall was always a team to watch out for, and clearly they have proved that. I think, you know, Georgia Southern fans will love hearing this name on their podcast, but I think Georgia State's been a little bit of a surprise, and I even think yeah. Old Dominion has been a bit of a surprise. They're at 3-3 three and three right now. Yeah. Louisiana and Texas State on the other side, you know, are some big surprises this year. I think particularly Louisiana, you know, they bring in, you know, the freshman quarterback, Zeon Chris, and he's been excellent and maybe yep. propelling them back into that title conversation. Texas State, no one knew what to expect because you're bringing in, I think it was almost 50 new players, but they've clearly turned into a power. And, and Troy's just been Troy. I think right now, if you were going to pin me down, I would probably say that Troy's the title favorite outside of James Madison, who's not going to be able to compete in that championship game. I think Troy weathered the storm early on. They're starting to get on a roll. I like their offense. I think their defense isn't as good as last year, but still good enough. And with the offense better, I think they're in a good place. So I think to suffice to say, the Sun Belt feels wide open right now. Kate and I will tell our listeners all the time, I think there's eight, nine, maybe 10 teams that still have a legitimate path to maybe playing in that championship game come to the first weekend of December. Yeah, no, completely agree. I, you know, I think all the all the ones that most people thought would be there still do, even though if they've had a rough patch right coming in. Um, but like you said, even the, the, the coastals and, um, you know, of the world still, um, uh, still have a path forward. Um, but then, yeah, you have Texas state that, you know, I, I thought was going to be, they were kind of my not sleeper pick, but, uh, you know, I, I thought they were going to make a bowl game. I thought they could win six or seven games and yeah, they, they've certainly done, uh, you know, a fine job, um, in, uh, first year under a new head coach. So, um, yeah, so I, let's let's talk a little bit more about Georgia Southern. You mentioned um, that you thought they could be that kind of dark horse sleeper pick. Um, you know, uh, I obviously don't have to tell you like the whole history of like where we were last year, first year under um, Helton, and and you know uh, how the offense has evolved. And you mentioned the, the defensive uh, improvement, um, but why that pick in in, in such a competitive? Uh, you know, Sunbelt East, why did Georgia Southern shine a little bit as uh, possibly that 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 sleeper pick? Yeah, I think for me, it all comes down to the hiring of Brandon Bailey. I, I was very confident in the offense for Georgia Southern, especially when you started to hear the early returns uh, of Davis Brin. You know, when you look back to, you know, his previous stops at Tulsa outside of some injuries, there were times where he was amongst one of the best quarterbacks in the country. I felt like Brian Ellis and his staff, Clay Helton, they would get the most out of him. So I was always confident in the offense. Jalen White's coming back. You have all the wide receivers back for the most part. Your top guys, the Burgesses, the Hoods. So I felt like offensively, this team was really good. And as we have seen, Georgia Southern's offense keeps them in football games. Mm -hmm. They're, they're going to put up a ton of points. So for me, you know, and Caden and I went back and forth on this in the offseason, we said, hey, if this defense was even passable, yeah. This is a team that probably, you know, last year wins seven games and now has a chance to take a step forward. Then you go out and get Brandon Bailey. 
And there was a re-emphasis you know, emphasis this offseason on really two things. These are the biggest things. We talked to Clay Helton in the offseason. We've talked to Brian Ellis. We've, I've, I've talked you know, to the defensive coordinator. And I heard you know, these two things. I heard third down conversion yep. percentage for opponents, and I heard forcing turnovers. Yep. And you know, Brandon Bailey was bringing that pedigree from Buffalo. And you know, clearly through six weeks this year, this is a Georgia Southern team that has done just that. Are they still going to give up 400 yards, 500 yards of you know on defense almost every game? Yes, they probably are, but they have been able to get off the fields on third down, which I think has gotten the ball back to their offense. And you know, Clay Helton mentioned that because if you get the ball back to the offense and suddenly you're up by two scores, it becomes a lot harder for a team to come back in than when you're maybe trading touchdowns. Uh, and then they've been more opportunistic this year. I think that's been the biggest surprise for me is just how many turnovers they've been able to force. Um, so I think they always had the pieces. I had a chance to watch a fall practice and, and came away impressed and kind of, you know, felt even better about that pick. And, you know, through again, five, you know, five, six games at this point, uh, I'm feeling really good about Georgia Southern and even think that right now they're probably the odds on favor to be in a Sunbelt title game come December. Yeah, I think ESPN, FPI, they, they, right now they are projected to, to win the East, um, but still obviously a ton of football left to play. Um, and yeah, I, I think most of our fans are, are cautiously optimistic of, of where we are this year versus um, this time last year. Also facing an undefeated JMU uh, team, so very much uh, kind of deja vu there. Obviously, we got the better of them last year in Paulson, but now we'll have to head up there, a very different uh, bowl game. So with that, let's talk about the JMU Dukes a little bit. Obviously, uh, you and your co-hosts have been able to um, to view some games. I don't know. Have you been able to attend? I know you plan to be there this Saturday. Have you uh, been there in Virginia uh, to to see them play firsthand you know i have not this year and i've actually never been to harrisonburg this will be my first trip up there uh, and i'm really excited about that so you know all i've been able to watch is them on film this year but when you look at james madison again i think going into the offseason the big question for all of us is you lose a guy like todd Santeo, who obviously was the offensive player of the year last year in the conference he was at quarterback and you lose a couple of program legends, like guys like Percy J. Obese, you know, at running back, guys like Chris Thornton at wide receiver. And I think we all sat back and said, are they going to be able to replace those guys? And the early answer to that question has been, yes, Jordan McLeod doesn't win the job out of, you know, training camp. They go with Alonzo Barnett. McLeod ends up taking over in that week one. And with every week, he seems to be more comfortable and then, you know, you brought in several guys, you know, an Elijah Surratt outside at wide receiver, a couple of others, a Phoenix Sproles, you know, that have had some big impacts. Reggie Brown was still there, and you still had guys like Latrell Palmer and Kalen Black in the backfield. So offensively, they've answered a lot of questions. I think the reason most of us felt like James Madison was still going to be a good team this year in this league was their defense. And that's fresh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, the, you look at the front there right now, and – Honestly, Kane and I were joking the other day off air that, you know, they might clean sweep the first team all conference in terms yeah. of defensive line right now. I mean, you look at how deep they are. Jalen Green, Carpenter, Kamara, you know, Chroma, uh, so many talented guys. You know, they were bringing back a lot of the linebacking core. I think the secondary uh, was a bit of a question and it has continued to be a question. I know you're probably going to ask me about how Georgia Southern matches up against that James yeah. Madison secondary. And I think they match up very favorably. Yeah in this matchup, but James Madison's a good team. They continue, you know, they've proven that they have a winning track record. I think it's almost 20 straight years. It might be 20 straight years of a winning record. 
they're the model of consistency, yeah. and I think that they are the team to beat regardless of if they're going to be able to play in that conference championship game this year. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, I I definitely was going to ask that question. I'll go ahead and do it. I mean, the pass rush does scare me um, because you know I think it should. Um, <laughs> while while Bryn, you know, has played pretty well outside of the Wisconsin game, you know, he seems to hold on to the ball a little bit longer than Antrees. Um, our offensive line has definitely taken a step back. Um, it seems we do have a new offensive line coach. Um, only gave up, you know, six sacks all of last year. Already uh, surpassed that this year. Um, and you know, it's definitely the best D line that uh, best front seven that we faced um, thus far, and probably will all season. Um, so yeah, I I guess the question is, you know. If Bryn has time, if he can make those throws um, and has a pocket, um, yeah, how does he match up against, I guess not just the secondary, but just the defense? How, how do you see that matchup kind of playing out? Yeah, I think the most interesting aspect is, again, when you talk about James Madison, the one thing that they've done really well this year and in past years is they make teams one-dimensional. Yep. You know, they're going to take the run game out. I think the stat is like 60 yards per game that they give up rushing the football since they, you know, transition to the FBS level. I think Georgia Southern, and we saw it last year against James Madison, is one of the better equipped teams in the conference to play a one-dimensional football game. Yeah. They're going to be able to pass the football just because of the scheme. I think, you know, you mentioned the pressure. The one thing that we see a lot from Georgia Southern are these, you know, bubble screen passes underneath. You see a lot of quick hitters, maybe on just tight slants, or you get the tight ends involved. So I think Davis Brin has some options if that pressure comes. If, though, that offensive line can stand up against this defensive line, which, again, is easier said than done, Davis Brin has shown the ability to cook back there. He's in the top 10 right now. I believe it might even be top six in terms of completion percentage in the country. You know, the, the Wisconsin game's an anomaly. I, I don't think that we can expect to see that many turnovers from Davis Brin ever again. Um and I think, you know, again, I mentioned the fact that James Madison's secondary is, is a little bit of a question mark. I mean... They are in the bottom half of the league in terms of yards per game given up through the air. So I feel like James Madison is, you know, could really struggle against this Georgia Southern offense. You know, you mentioned, you know, the really good wide receiving core. I think it's as deep as it's ever been at Georgia Southern. So I think Georgia Southern matches up very favorably in this game. And, you know, the other thing, when you look at defensively for Georgia Southern, they have been able to force turnovers. We talked about that a moment ago. Jordan McLeod has thrown a few interceptions this year. They've put the ball on the ground a couple of times. I think if Georgia Southern can be opportunistic, maybe force a couple of turnovers in this game, and Davis Brennan, the offense, has a good game, I expect this one to go down to the buzzer between James Madison and Georgia Southern. And right now, if you were pinning me down, I'm taking Georgia Southern's offense oh, really? you know, late in the game. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, I was just talking with the JMU uh, sound off guys, and you know, one of the interesting things last year was like you said yes we can play one dimensional um jmu kind of abandoned the run early on last year where they were i mean our uh, run defense was terrible last year and they were uh, running at will on us and then you know we kept committing to the pass um they built that lead that 17 point lead we chipped into it and then they just kind of panicked and then was, uh went into a shootout with us pass versus pass and and we're gonna win that probably nine out of ten times now under brian ellis so um what shift into their offense of how they match up, you know, uh, against our defense? Do you 
do you think they'll learn from that last year? Do you think, you know, they'll kind of stick to um, what they did best last year and what has done pretty well for them this year and, and, and running the football and having a more balanced offense and not going one dimensional? Yeah, I think the biggest thing when you look at James Madison is I will give Kurt Signetti, you know, a lot of credit for being a chameleon. Uh, he, he tends to put his team in positions to win football games. And if that means they have to run the football one week, they will. If that means they have to pass the football, they will. I think going in, it has to be their game plan to, you know, run the football as much as possible, as well as get that offense in the passing game involved. I think they want to try to stay balanced. So, it's going to be really interesting in this matchup. Can, you know, Georgia Southern take away one of those facets? Um, you know, maybe do you take away that run game and force them one-dimensional and then the opportunistic aspects of this defense, you know, have a chance to pick off Jordan McLeod or maybe force a fumble. So I think those are some things to kind of watch out for early in this matchup. But, uh, you know, Kurt Signetti, is, he'll look at last year's tape, but I think he also realizes that, Particularly on defense, this is a different Georgia Southern defense, so I would not expect to see the exact same game plan, and I think we're probably going to have to get a quarter, maybe quarter and a half into this football game uh, to see how things go. And I think the other thing that isn't being talked about a ton, the weather conditions aren't you know, yeah. supposed to be fantastic right. for this game, yeah. and how does that affect both quarterbacks? How does that affect the wide receivers? Are both teams forced to lean into their run games a little bit more? And I think in that situation, given James Madison's ability right. to stop the run, I feel better about James Madison in a, in a poor weather condition game. So it's fascinating. I think this is, you know, arguably these are two of the better teams in the Sunbelt East, you know, maybe alongside of Marshall. So this is a primetime matchup. I, I'm, I'm looking forward to getting, you know, an up-close look at both of these teams come Saturday. Very cool. So we'll we'll close with this. I mean, obviously, you know, this game counts at the standings. JMU obviously still can't uh, be the East representative in the Sunbelt Championship. Um, but of the slate, I know there's some really good games outside of ours this weekend. But looking ahead, I'm sure you've done some of that. You know, what are some marquee matchups uh, this week and beyond that you think not only are going to be great games, but really kind of set the precedent for who ends up coming out of the East um, and West, but but especially the East. Yeah, I mean, again, I think the biggest thing you're seeing early on this season, you know, and now as we start to transition into conference play, you're starting to see slates that are, you know, there's not as many games. I think that was so challenging early on this year when you've got 14 games on a Saturday, speaking from, you know, Caden and I's perspective yeah. of having to cover the league. But, you know, ultimately, you know, you've got Coastal Carolina App State on Tuesday night, which I think is going to be, you know, a lot of fun. That's going to be a good game. Um, that Troy Army game to me is kind of fun. I mean, you've got Troy going up to Army. Um, I, You know, Army's a bit down right now, and I think Troy is really starting to turn the corner after a couple losses early on this year. I'm fascinated by the Marshall-Georgia State game. I think that one has a chance to be a really good game. It's going to be, you know, at 7 p.m. on ESPN2, the Sunbelt kind of bookending the day. You've got the national game between James Madison uh, and Georgia Southern, and then you bookend it with Marshall-Georgia State. I think that's going to be a fascinating game. We've seen Marshall's offense, you know, start to come around and be pretty dynamic these last two weeks. Uh, Georgia State obviously took a step back against Troy, but coming off their bye week, you know, they do have some nice pieces. I mean, yeah. Darren Granger, uh, you know, Carroll and, and Lewis are, are, you know, three of the better players in the conference. So I think that's going to be a fun one. 
ultimately, it seems like, you know, as Caden and I have been doing uh, the Ferrari and Smith podcast, we've just come to realize that week in and week out, the Sun Belt is going to bring the fun. There's a reason it used to be called the Fun Belt. Uh, so I think regardless of the games I just mentioned, there's probably going to be one that sneaks up on us and ends up becoming a great game this weekend. And that's what we all love about the Sun Belt. Yeah, no, absolutely. There's there's no give me games whatsoever. Uh, Cody and I say that all the time. And and yeah, the East is is absolutely stacked. I, I still think that um, that any team could could possibly uh, come out of it as 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 the winner this year. And um, like you said, ODU, um, who was the um, you know picked to finish last by pretty much everybody. You know, they're they're kind of juggling high, but you never know. Um, so yeah, absolutely. So, um, any closing thoughts? I mean, give, give everyone, uh, you know, how they can find you guys, um, on social, uh, uh, um, listening wise to the podcast, just, yeah. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, uh, pretty easy. You can find us at uh, at Ferrari and Smith. Right now, we're on Twitter and Facebook. We've got plans uh, to further expand uh, as we expand our team and just the coverage of the league. Uh, Again, we're going to put out three episodes a week during the season, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. And you can find those on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. So uh, a lot of fun. I know we've even got, uh, we're actually going to drop our first one uh, tomorrow on Tuesday. Uh, we're, we're doing a special midweek mania series this year where we're really focusing on some of these midweek games. So I know Georgia Southern's got a midweek game uh, coming up at the end of the month against Georgia State, another game yep. that I'm planning on attending this year. So keep nice. an eye on out for those. Uh, but yeah, it's been a lot of fun. And Matt, uh, certainly uh, appreciate you having me on today and, and chopping it up about some Georgia Southern football. Yeah, absolutely. No, again, uh, really appreciate you coming on. Really appreciate everything um, that uh, that you and your co-hosts are, are, are doing and, and giving shine a light on the Sunbelt Conference. And and um, and uh, yeah, definitely appreciate it. So um, thanks for coming on. And I'm, I'm sure we'll uh, we'll talk again um, sometime in the future.